the book of Mark today, Lord willing. We might not, though. That's why I say Lord willing. But Lord willing, we're going we're gonna to get to the end. We started this we started this 78 sermons ago, and we're going to end it on 79 today. We have covered the book of Mark pretty thoroughly, I feel like. There's always a lot that can be said, but, but I feel like we've, we've, we've done a pretty good job of looking at least some of the, some of the main things. And we, uh, last week, we spent a little bit of time on verses 9 through 13 and just kind of just recap the, the story of the resurrection of Jesus that morning uh, because I think it was important for us to to kind of kind of see how to put some of those details together. Because every gospel account has different details as to who went to the tomb and when they went to the tomb and how many angels were there and things that were said and when Jesus appeared and and those those accounts are all a little bit different and probably all of those things occurred. And so each gospel writer probably just gave us some different different events, but we could probably put all those things together and have one timeline of people maybe even making multiple trips, and we talked about that a little bit last week, and we also talked about last week, starting in verse 9, uh, it, is, it is, the general consensus is, is that Mark did not write these closing verses, that verses 9 through the end of the chapter were not written by Mark, and indeed, those verses are not in any of the earliest manuscripts that we have. Those verses only came in manuscripts that were discovered much later. And so it is certainly a possibility that Mark wrote those uh, and somehow they got lost and re-added at some point. Uh, but it is also a possibility that some other writer at some point uh, added these verses to the book of Mark. And your Bible probably notates that. It might be in some kind of parentheses or it might have a footnote at the bottom that says what I just told you, that these, these verses are not in the original manuscripts that we have, or the oldest manuscripts, I should say, that we have of the book of Mark, uh, but they did come sometime later. There really isn't much in here that, 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 that throws us for a loop. Most everything we see goes along with other things that we see in the other gospel accounts, and so, or even other, other accounts in the New Testament. And we will talk about some of those things today, but there is one, one part of this close of Mark that, that, that causes some, some, I guess problems may be a good word to use, but, or maybe just a difference of opinion on how these, what these verses mean and, and perhaps what they should look like in the life of the Christian. And so, we will talk about that when we get to those verses. But we will start in verse 14, and we'll just kind of work our way through, and we'll see that even if these verses were not written by Mark, that the things that they say are, are, are spoken to us in other parts of the New Testament. So they're not untrue, and we will talk about that one, one little part of this, this closing passage that may, be, may cause us to scratch our head. But let's pray, and then we will jump in. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for these words in the book of Mark that we've looked at over, over these last couple of years. And I pray, God, that we got something from them, that we understand the life and the ministry of Jesus. And God, I pray that we have gotten a message that was kind of woven through this whole book, dear Lord, that, that you call us to be your servant, that Jesus shows us what it means to serve you. So God, let us be faithful to serve you in such a way to serve you and to serve others as Jesus did. And I pray that as we look at these closing verses of the book today, that if it be your will, we make it through them. If not, dear Lord, we'll, we'll stop when we need to. But God, I pray that 
in everything that we read and everything that's said today, God, that you bless the reading of these words, that you hide me behind the cross. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 16, verse 14. This is after Jesus had been resurrected. It said, Later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had been resurrected. Now, this, this idea that we see here about those who saw Jesus, and particularly his, his, his 11 apostles, they didn't believe the news once they found out that he had been resurrected. And we see that uh, in Mark chapter 16, verse 13. We see it in Luke chapter 23, uh, verse 11. This idea of his apostles weren't quite sure. They didn't quite believe that Jesus had been resurrected, even though he had told them. And here in this first verse that we looked at, it says that uh, Jesus appeared to them and he rebuked their unbelief. And so he, he got on to them a little bit because obviously they didn't have the faith that, that they should have had. They didn't believe the fact that Jesus had said what was going to occur and that it had occurred. And so we see the same thing mentioned uh, again in Luke for us. And so we know that this is a detail that is true. Uh, we've seen this in the story that they didn't believe. Now, we saw that Peter and John did run to the tomb. We see that in John's account. But, but there appears to be some unbelief. And perhaps we are most familiar with Thomas. Uh, oh, unbelieving Thomas, because he wasn't there and he didn't see it. And he said, I'm not going to believe it till I see his wounds, until I touch him. Well, we give Thomas a hard time, but realistically, it says that they all had unbelief. They all couldn't believe it, what they had heard. And so we see here that after Jesus had been resurrected, we know that he had appeared to his apostles and he appeared uh, to many people, the scripture says. For days he appeared to different people. And so Jesus was around for a while after his resurrection, before he ascended, and he appeared to his apostles and, 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 and called them out a little bit because of their unbelief at his resurrection. And then in verse 15, he said, Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Now, this is a, a, a verse, again, that there's really no conflict here. Even if Mark did not write this, the fact that Jesus said these words is documented for us in Matthew chapter 28. Now, that's a, a pretty popular passage. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, there at the end of chapter 28, we often refer to that as the Great Commission. You may have heard the Great Commission. And that Great Commission is when Jesus told his disciples to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations, of all people, of all men. Jesus said, go out and make disciples. Now, part of what that means is to go out and tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's part of disciple making. You have to repent and put your faith in Jesus to become a disciple. But there's more to it than that. Once we become a disciple, we have to be discipled. That is, we have to continue to grow. And that's, that's one reason why we come to church. I mean, we come to worship the Lord, praise the Lord. We come to look at his word. But one reason why we come and we have Sunday schools and Bible studies and, and, and listen to sermons is so we can, we can grow as disciples. And so that's what we do. We, we come and, 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 and as a pastor, it's my job to try to disciple you and help you to grow in, in the Lord and guide you in the Lord and in God's word. And as Christians, it's our job to see other folks. And we want to tell them the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But we don't want to just leave them there. If they say, I put my faith in Jesus, we don't want to just say, praise the Lord and be done. And that's, I think, sometimes where we fail, where we don't do a good job. We say, praise the Lord, they're saved. Now they can just keep coming to church and everything will be okay. But, but it's our responsibility to disciple people who are coming along in the Lord, to help them understand God's word and to pray with them. And, and maybe they have questions or maybe there are things that they don't understand. And that's important for us to remember is sometimes if we've gone to church for a long time or been a Christian for a long time, we may have read God's word and heard so many stories and heard words and phrases that we know what they mean. But other people may not know what they mean. And sometimes we may be guilty of that. I even catch myself sometimes we say, well, you know the story, but they may not know the story. The audience you're talking to may not know the story. They may not know the scripture. They may not know the verse. They may not understand. And so part of what it means to disciple people, to make disciples, is to certainly preach and teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they can repent, put their faith in Jesus, and be saved. But it's a lifelong process that we are being discipled, hopefully by other mature brothers and sisters in Christ, by preachers and teachers, and that we too are, are preaching and teaching to those who we encounter with what knowledge we have received. And maybe, maybe some of us are more mature in our walk with Christ, or maybe we're more immature, or maybe some of us know a few more things than others. It doesn't mean that anybody is better than anybody or more important than anybody, but it's just that as we walk, we're in different phases. And so whatever God has done in your life, share that with somebody else. Whatever truth you've received, whatever love you've received, whatever comfort you've received, whatever wisdom and strength you've received in God's word, then pass that on to those you encounter. And so Jesus says that and what we refer to as the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples of all nations. And that's what we see here, uh, kind of a simplified version of that in verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Then in verse 16, it says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, when we talk about belief in the Bible, it's important that we make a little bit of a distinction when we say believed, because we certainly want to believe in Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what the Bible says, that we are to believe in Jesus Christ and believe in God. But it's, a, it's, it's not simply just a, just a belief of knowing that something exists. For example, even Satan knows that Jesus exists. Satan believes in Jesus, but he does not have faith in Jesus, and that's the difference. Sometimes perhaps people hear God's word, and maybe in their mind and in their heart they believe that it's true. But do they put their faith in Jesus? They may say, okay, I've heard this, and I believe that this is true, but I would just rather live for the world. And so even though there's a belief there, if there's not a faith that, that goes along with that belief, then, then that's not going to be to a, of any benefit to us. And so when the Bible says here that we are to believe, it's talking about that we are to put our faith in Jesus. We talked about at the very beginning of Mark, Jesus said, look, the kingdom of God has come near. And so the kingdom of God came near because the king had come near, Jesus. King Jesus had come near. And where the king is, there is the kingdom, as the song says. And Jesus is the king. 
And when we submit to the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, we become part of the kingdom. And becoming part of the kingdom means that we are to serve the Lord, that we humble ourselves before the king, that we say, King Jesus, I am your servant. I am yours. I am living for you. Everything that the, that the servants do, that the people of the king do, is to build up the king's kingdom. And that's what we are to do. So we are part of God's kingdom. It's a kingdom that is and that is to come. And when we follow King Jesus, we are part of that kingdom. And this passage here says, to all who believe, they are saved. That is, we become part of that kingdom. And what does it say? Uh, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So baptism is an important part of, of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But it is not what Christianity is all about. And we've talked about this in the past, but a little refresher. Sometimes, sometimes we may ask people, we may say, hey, if you die, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? And that's not a, necessarily a horrible question to ask. But when we ask that question, sometimes it, it may seem as though we're making Christianity simply about going to heaven. And going to heaven is going to be a beautiful and wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. It's going to be great. And that is a great, great thing that God has poured out our grace and he will allow us to be with him. But Christianity is not just about going to heaven. And sometimes you may even ask people, you know, hey, are you a Christian? And they may respond, I have been baptized. Well, if people have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are baptized as a result of that, then praise the Lord. They will go to heaven. Both of those things are parts of Christianity and important parts of Christianity. But simply being baptized apart from putting faith in Jesus Christ does not make you a Christian. And so when we see this language that we are to believe and that we are to be baptized and then we will be saved, what we have to realize is that that believing is, is, is a faith that we put in Jesus Christ. When we have that faith, we submit to the king and say, King Jesus, I am your servant. You are my king and I will live for you. I will live to build your kingdom. And when we have that kind of faith, we say, okay, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus tells us to. Jesus showed us that's what we are to do. And so that follows our true faith, not just a simple belief, but a true faith. Baptism follows that when we submit to the king. And we are saved. We do enter into the kingdom of God. And we will go to heaven. But we don't want to make the mistake of saying, I have been baptized, therefore I'm going to heaven. Because what we have done is we have reduced Christianity into baptism and heaven. And Christianity is about following Jesus Christ. Christianity is about submitting to Jesus Christ. Christianity is about putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That is what Christianity is about. And if we realize that, then we live our life in that way. We live our life in a way to serve Jesus. We live our life in a way to get the good news to people so that they will know that they're sinners like we knew and know that we are sinners and that they would repent as we have repented, and that they would be baptized as we have been baptized, and that they would enter the kingdom of God as we have entered the kingdom of God. And those things all work together, but we have to realize how they work together. And Christianity is about Jesus Christ and Christ crucified and us submitting to him. And that's what Jesus says here. Look, go out and preach the gospel to all people so that they will hear and they will truly believe and have faith. 
and put their faith in me and live for me, and they too will be saved. And this is, again, these, these, these themes are not unique to the end of the book of Mark. If this was the only place we saw these things, we may have to question them and say, I don't know, if Mark didn't write this, maybe we can't trust these. But all of these ideas, all of these truths are spelled out for us in the rest of the New Testament. And so it's clear that even if Mark did not write these things, these things are true and can be backed up by Scripture. Now, here's where we begin to get into a little bit of a little bit of a difficulty as to as to this close of Mark. And that begins in uh, chapter 16, verse 17. It says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages. Okay, verse 17 is really pretty simple. Again, these are things that we see happening in the New Testament. After Jesus ascends back to heaven and his followers begin to do just what he said and go out and make disciples, we see that they're doing the very things that Jesus said. Okay, okay, these, if you're mine, if you're doing my work, these are the things that will accompany you. These signs are things that people will see. And what are these signs? It says they will drive out demons and they will speak in new languages or they will speak in tongues. And we see this very thing occur in Acts chapter 5 verse 12 is one example. Uh, it says many signs and wonders were being done among the people uh, through the hands of the apostles. By common consent, would all meet in, they would all meet in Solomon's colonnade. And so we see that many signs and wonders were being done among the apostles. And that's what Jesus is saying. There are signs that are going to be done. But Jesus mentions some specific signs. Well, we have some of those specific signs mentioned uh, in a, a couple of verses down. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers. Okay, so they're doing what he said. They're making disciples, just as he had commanded. The numbers of those who follow Christ were expanding. Crowds of both men and women, verse 15 of Acts 5. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a large group came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were healed. Okay, that's exactly the two things that, that, that are mentioned here in verse 17. What? That the, the sick will be healed and that the demons will be cast out. These are the type of things that Jesus said would occur by those who followed him, and indeed they did occur. They occurred. Uh, we see that clearly in the book of Acts in the early church among the apostles. So there's really no problem there. These are things that Jesus did. He drove out demons. He healed the sick. He said, you guys are going to be able to do the same thing, and they did. By the power that was in them through Jesus Christ, they healed the sick. They were able to drive out demons. And then we get to verse 18. This is the one that's a, that's a doozy. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Verse 18, they will pick up snakes, and if they drink anything deadly, or some of your translations may say a deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Now, this is kind of an odd verse, really. This is kind of an odd, an odd thing to be squeezed in here, and... And it's in red in your Bible. 
that, that supposedly Jesus said this. Although Mark probably didn't write this, perhaps it's a possibility that Jesus did say this and whoever added it later was really quoting something that Jesus had said or perhaps uh, whoever wrote the ending of Mark was mistaken and Jesus did not say this. But if Jesus did say this, what are we to make of this? Well, it says if you pick up a snake or you drink deadly poison, if, if, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer, that it will not harm you. But the real problem and difficulty comes as is, is that some interpret this passage as saying that as Christians, we must pick up snakes and we must drink deadly poison. Now, that's not what it says. What it says is if you do get bit by a snake, let's say, or you do drink poison and you're really God's, it's not going to harm you. That's, that's what it says. But some have interpreted this to say that as Christians, we must pick up deadly snakes and we must drink poison. Now, this is quite an interesting phenomenon, and this is not a, this is not a super widespread uh, thing that occurs, but it does occur and has been occurring for a long time, and particularly up around the Appalachian Mountain area. There are several churches that, that do snake handling in the middle of the church service. Now, that probably wouldn't fly here. Even if I thought that's what the verse says, if I rip out a, whip out a rattlesnake, y'all are probably going to hit the door. But look, it's interesting. You can research this, but, but these, these, these guys and women, they, get, they go out in the wild, they catch these rattlesnakes, and they bring them in the church, and they get them, and they're throwing them all over the place, and they're drinking poison, and these people are getting sick. I mean, there are documented cases, many documented cases, of these pastors and people that, that do this who are killed by these snakes. They are bitten by these snakes, and often they refuse any medical treatment whatsoever. They will not go to the doctor. They will sometimes recover after suffering greatly uh, with, with life, lifelong effects from these snake bites, but many of them will handle and throw these snakes around and they are bitten, and they will die, and they will drink poison. And I do not, listen, listen, I do not believe that that is what this passage is telling us to do. So please do not go messing around with a snake. Now, I believe that God is good and that God can deliver us, and sometimes he does. And I knew I was going to preach on this verse. And guess what happened? Yesterday there was a snake on our front porch right by our door. And he probably, I couldn't see all of them. He's coming out from the door seal. We couldn't get to him. He probably wasn't this long. He wasn't as big around as a pencil. And even knowing this verse, I didn't go out there and grab him. And he probably couldn't have hurt me no more than a man in the moon. But God is good and God will protect his people, but I do not think God intends for us to go out and grab rattlesnakes. But perhaps there is a reason why this is in here, and there's, there's one good story that would kind of coincide with these writings. Now, when it comes to the drinking of the poison, I don't really know of any scripture that coincides with that. I don't know of any real, real scripture that we could turn to in the New Testament that would say, oh yeah, this is what this may be referencing, or, or, or this is what this is talking about, or here's an example where this is lived out. I don't, I don't know of any. There may be some. I'm not saying there are not, but I don't know of any where it talks about people you know, purposely drinking deadly poison or purposely grabbing up snakes and slinging them around. If you grab a snake, you are probably going to get bit. And one thing that's interesting about this 
I'll call it a phenomenon of people dealing with these snakes. It says that those who are believers in Christ, if they get bit, they will not be harmed. But what is interesting that I found is all of these pastors who have died from a snake bite are still celebrated by their congregation as being men of God. But that wouldn't line up because if you take that scripture in the way that they take it, if they were truly believers, the snake bite wouldn't have harmed them. So it's this weird mix of here's what this verse literally says. We're going to take it literally, but we're not going to take it literally. So it's a strange thing. But there are some miniseries. I think there was one on National Geographic, actually, that covered uh, some of these churches. And you can find them if you want to learn more about this. But I do not think that this is what this verse is saying. It's clearly not saying you must go out and pick up snakes. But even if it is saying that if you get bit, you won't be harmed, is there any any scriptural support for that? And there is some scriptural support for that. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 28, you can. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 28, and I would encourage you, if you want to read a great Bible story, there are, some, there are a few that are really great. One of the great Bible stories, in my opinion, is when Paul is shipwrecked on the island of Malta. If you want to read those chapters around uh, chapter 28 and read that story about Paul's journey and about him being shipwrecked, that's a good, good story for you to read if you've never read it. Acts chapter 28, verse 1. Now, Paul and the rest of the folks that were on the ship, they had been shipwrecked in a place called Malta. And that's where the story takes up. Paul and the rest of the, rest of the group are on Malta. They survived this shipwreck. And let's see what happens in Acts chapter 28, verse 1. It says, Once ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness, for they lit a fire and took us all in, since it was raining and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man prob is probably a murderer, and though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. So Paul and the folks with him, they suffered the shipwreck. They were on the island. It was raining and cold, probably similar to what we got today. And they get there, and the people are friendly, and they're gathering up wood, and Paul is putting the wood on the fire, and lo and behold, out of the wood comes a viper and bites him. Now, that's viper's a deadly snake. You get bit by a viper, that's a bad day. That's bad news. And when the people saw this, they said, hey, he's getting punished. He must be somebody really bad. He was, he, he, he was able to escape the sea, but he ain't going to escape this viper bite. He, he's going to die really quick. It's going to be his punishment. But Paul ain't missed a lick. He goes about his way, and he doesn't die. He shook it off. Nothing happened. No harm came to him. Here, here Paul, a, a follower of Jesus Christ, got bit by a poisonous snake and did not die. Now, perhaps... That story is what's being referenced here in the book of Mark. Perhaps that's why it was added later. Perhaps whoever added this was referencing that story. Now, maybe Jesus said these words or maybe he didn't. There's real, not, not really a way for us to know. But there is scriptural evidence to show 
that a, a follower of Jesus Christ was bitten by a snake and did not die. But it didn't say that Paul went around the island looking for vipers and slinging them around like a, like a whip. It does not say that Paul did that. All that to say this, that God is good. And there are sometimes things that happen to his followers, deadly things, things that should kill us. Maybe a snake bite. Maybe it's a vehicle accident. Man, we all know about stuff that people survived that they shouldn't have survived. And we say, what do we say? We say, it's nothing but a miracle. We may have something in our life. We say, man, it's nothing but a miracle. God had to be with me. There's no way I would have survived that. God had to be with that person. There is no way they would have survived that. People get sicknesses, and they look like they're on death's door, and the doctors say, oh, they're not going to make it another three days. And 15 years later, they're still going strong. That's nothing short of a miracle. Whether it's a snake bite or an accident or a sickness, sometimes God keeps his people alive. Sometimes he spares them from death. Sometimes he doesn't. That's God's choice. He can do that. He's perfect. But, but we can take, we can take uh, some comfort in the fact that knowing that God is with us, and if God desires to deliver us, he will deliver us. We don't want to go out seeking death and living life on the wild side, saying, well, I'm a Christian, there's nothing that's going to hurt me, because that's not what God's Word says. And that's not what this passage in Mark says. But what it does remind us of is that God will be with those who are His. And that's true. We shouldn't drink deadly poison. But maybe there's an occasion where somebody tries to poison us, and the poison doesn't have an effect. If God desires that to be the case, He can deliver us. And that's the truth that we see in God's Word. God can deliver God's people, and there is nothing that can stop that. If somebody come in here today and poison every one of us, and God desired to deliver us, God is stronger than the poison. He is stronger than the snakes. And sometimes God chooses to deliver His people from certain things, and sometimes He does not. But it's not because He's not powerful enough to do so. He is most certainly powerful to do anything that He desires to do. And so this passage, be careful with this passage. It doesn't say pick up snakes. It doesn't say pick up a drink poison. But I think it does say is that God is good to his people and God will watch over his people. And maybe there are occasions, just like Paul, where you and I, our life is on the line and something that should have killed us doesn't kill us. Why? Because God is in control and it wasn't our time to go and God spared us from those things. Uh, we see this idea of speaking in tongues. I, I kind of skipped over that, but that's clear in the New Testament. You can find uh, plenty of passages where we see in the New Testament, especially at Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit came on the people and they began to speak in tongues. And we see those types of things mentioned in the New Testament. So, so really the only thing that we see here that, that in my opinion, is really questionable is that, is that part about, about the poison in the snakes. And, and it's not a command of Jesus. Uh, but I think it's an assurance that God is with his people. And as far as the poison thing goes, I'm, I'm not real sure on that. There doesn't appear to be any New Testament evidence uh, to support that, but maybe I'll find some later, and if I do, I'll share it with you. All right, verse 19. Then after speaking to them, the Lord was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now this is something, again, we see this, this idea that Jesus is at the right hand of God. It doesn't come solely from Mark chapter 16, verse 19. 
It comes throughout all of the New Testament. We see this theme repeated throughout the New Testament. I'll read you a few, just a few examples, just so you can see and know for sure that this is where Jesus is. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the Son, that is the Son, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this explains to us what happened. Jesus gave his life. He gave his life for sins. And what happened after that? He sat down at the right hand of God. Again, in Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33, God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all res uh, witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. So Peter is preaching. This is not long after Jesus had ascended. And what does he say? Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God. And then again in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. And so everything just about that we're seeing here at the close of Mark is, is repeated for us throughout the New Testament. What does it mean that Jesus is at the right hand of God? He is victorious. He is sitting there. He has accomplished his good work. He has given his life. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered sin. He gives you the victory, and Jesus has rested from his work. He has done everything for us. He's done it all. He's done it all, and he's sitting at the right hand of God, and it's up to you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's up, for you, up to you to carry out what he's called you to carry out, what he called his disciples to carry out, to go into all the world. And we see in the last verse, verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word by the accompanying signs. So God's people, the people who put their faith in Jesus Christ, they did what Jesus had called them to do. They went into the world. These were men and women who were servants of the Lord. Throughout the whole book of Mark, we've seen these, this, this idea, this theme that kind of, kind of wove itself in and out from time to time. This idea about serving the Lord. This idea about serving other people. That's what God calls us to. It's to serve other people. It's to serve the Lord. It's to help other people. It's to do the Lord's work. That's what Jesus has called us to. That's the example throughout all of Jesus' ministry in the book of Mark that Jesus has called us to. That's what he wants us to do. And we don't want to miss that here at the close of Mark. Yeah, we talk about the, we talk about the snakes and the, and the drinking of poison, but, but what we need to remember in that is that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus was tempted by Satan. He was tempted by Satan. And this is, we, we see this in Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 9 through 12, and I won't read it all, but at the very end of Jesus is, is, is tempting Satan, Jesus responds and he says, do not test the Lord your God. 
And we don't want to forget that. When we talk about snakes and poison, to, to reach down and say, I'm going to grab this snake, I'm going to drink this poison, that's testing God. It, to, to believe that God is good to us and will deliver us is one thing. To have faith in God in that way is one thing. But we never want to get to a point where we test God. And that's what Satan wanted Jesus to do. And that's what Satan wants us to do. But we don't want to live in that way. We don't want to test God. We want to live for God. We want to do what Jesus has called us to do. We want to do what Jesus has shown us to do throughout his life, throughout his death, and throughout his resurrection. And what does he call us to? He says, go out into the world and make disciples. Let us be faithful servants of Jesus Christ in our life. Let us be faithful to make disciples of other people. Let us be, be faithful to disciple those who we know who have put their faith and trust in the Lord. Jesus has been a faithful servant. He gave his life for you so that you could enter into his kingdom. Have you put your faith in Jesus today? The kingdom of God has come near. We see that throughout the book of Mark. And I hope today you've entered into that kingdom and put your faith in him just as he called us to do. And if you have, let us leave these doors and live for him every day of our life. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good words. And we thank you for, for the words that Mark gave us. And we thank you that we could get through this book. And God, I pray that there's something we've, we've heard or learned, something that we've remembered that we can take from it through this whole book. God, even if there's one thing that we got from your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would recall it to us. And dear Lord, we don't... We don't maybe know who wrote the end of Mark. Maybe Mark wrote it. Maybe he didn't. Maybe these are things Jesus said, or maybe they weren't, God. But regardless of what the book of Mark says, God, we have your whole word to affirm that all of these things are true. And so, God, let us not be found guilty of testing you. Let us not go grab snakes and drink poison. But, God, if we're up against things that are deadly, if we're up against things that may bring us harm, we don't want to seek them out. But when we're up against them, let us have faith and trust you to know that, God, you are powerful enough to deliver us. If you want to deliver us, your will. And if you want, God, then we'll come be with you. Dear Lord, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let us say, God, we know you have the power to deliver. But if you don't, we're going to praise you just the same. God, I pray that if there's one that has not put their faith in Jesus, that the day that they do so, that they don't just believe with their head, but that they, but that they trust you with their heart. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful servants. We saw the way Jesus treated people. We saw the way he lived and we saw the way he died. And God, let us follow that example. Let us be strong enough to do what Jesus did and to live the way Jesus lived. And God, if our life is on the line, let us die the way Jesus died, humbly, with all the faith and trust in the world to you. And let us go into the world, dear Lord. Let us share the good news of Jesus. Let us... Let us disciple those who want to learn. God, let us learn. Let us grow. We all need to grow. No matter who we are, how young we are, how old we are, let us all continue to grow in you and be discipled by your words. And God, I just thank you for being good. I thank you for your word. And I pray your Holy Spirit would do a work through the words we read today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.